Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Uh, Most of you, but not everybody, was here last Wednesday night, so uh, I'm going to just try to go as quickly as I can over the main points that we covered from last week. It would be really better if you weren't here to listen to the, the, to the uh, uh, recording from last week on the website and so that you'd get all of the details. But we started talking about the subject of sanctification because on Sunday I've been talking about knowing the will of God. And uh, a couple of weeks ago we mentioned, you know, that it's the will of God. There are certain things you don't need to pray about the will of God. Uh, because the Bible already tells you what his will is. You don't have to pray. In other, in other words, you don't have to ask God if it's w- his will to save you because we already know that Jesus died to save everybody. It's the will of God that everybody be saved. It's the will of God that everybody be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's the will of God for everybody to be healed. Well, one of the things we found from the Bible, it says in, in 2 Thessalonians that this, or 1 Thessalonians, this is the will of God, even your sanctification. So sanctification is the will of God. So uh, when, when I preached that, then it seemed good to me and to the Holy Ghost that uh, I go into a little more explanation about what sanctification is. A lot of people use the word or read it in their Bible, but they never really look and, and, and delve into what is the Bible talking about when it talks about sanctification. And if it's the will of God that we be sanctified, then we need to know what that is. Amen? We found out, first of all, that there's two basic meanings of the word sanctification in the Bible. There's a primary meaning and there's a secondary meaning, but the secondary meaning, uh, I I don't even like, I just read that in a book. Really, I don't even like to say primary and secondary. There are two meanings. And one is the first and, and, and the second meaning, but they're both fundamental to our walk with God. The first meaning in the Bible, the first time we find the idea of sanctification is in the Old Testament. And it simply means a dedication or a consecration, or you could say setting something apart uh, for God, for some holy use, some, spe- some specific holy use. We found out in the Old Testament that uh, inanimate objects were considered sanctified when they were set apart for God's use. We talked about different things. Uh, one of the things we talked about was uh, all of the different uh, utensils in the temple and the tabernacle originally and then in the temple, you know, the cups, the bowls, the spoons, the, you know, the censers, the candlesticks, all of the things that were in the tabernacle of witness and then later in the temple, those things were all sanctified in the sense that they were, once they were fashioned, then they were set apart from all other use and set apart wholly. They were separated from any other uh, uh, natural use and set apart holy unto God that made them holy. You know, the, uh, the oil that was used in the anointings whenever the, the uh, uh, priest would anoint the prophet or different, different ones would take oil in, in, the, uh, in the temple and in the tabernacle, that oil was a special uh, uh, formula. It was outlined in the scripture. And when they put the ingredients together to make that anointing oil, when it, when it came together, because it had been consecrated unto God, it was holy. It was holy oil. It was, it was considered holy to the extent that no one could make that formulation for any other use. No one in Israel was permitted to put those ingredients, the ingredients that went into the holy anointing oil, you were forbidden to put those ingredients together to make any other, to make another batch of it or to make something like it. That was completely uh, 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 considered wrong. It was forbidden because that oil was holy. Well, in that sense, there's nothing in that sense of consecration or that sense of sanctification. There's nothing in that that indicates any moral uprightness. It was just a bottle of oil. It wasn't supernatural oil. It wasn't magical oil. It wasn't uh, spooky oil. You know, it was just oil that had been that had been concocted using certain ingredients. The thing that made it special was that it had been consecrated to God, but it wasn't holy in the sense that it was free from sin. It's just not part of the picture. So there was that use of, of oil. And, you know, you could illustrate it like this. Uh, 
You know, you, someone, let's say someone is, is an art collector and uh, they decide to go, you know, rummaging through a, a garage sale or maybe through a flea market or something and they come upon uh, some type of an uh, of a, uh, item that someone is selling for a few dollars. It might be, you know, a really uh, old pot and it's just an ugly old pot and people are passing by. This art collector comes in and it catches his eye and he realizes that's no ordinary pot. He recognizes that that picks it up and begins to examine it. He said, no, I know where this, where, what's the history is connected to this. This is a very valuable pot. Well, because he sees the value in it, it's not that it's, it's inherently better than others. It's because of its purpose. And so he takes that pot and he sets it aside for himself. Maybe he's got a lot of other things. If, if it's real valuable, he's going to buy that pot and go straight home. But, but if he's interested, and he might be interested in some other things, see what else he could find. So he might ask that person, hey, set this aside for me until I come back. So, so it's something that's set apart for him because he, because he values it. So then in that sense, it's been consecrated to him. It's been sanctified unto him in the sense that it's been set apart for him. But that doesn't mean necessarily that the pot doesn't need some work. You know, it might have some, some dings in it. It might have some scratches on it. It might have some disfiguration. It, it could be that it's not been handled very well and it needs some help. But, that, but he still sees the value in it. It's still sanctified because it's been set apart for this artist. He's taken it unto himself. He's set it apart for himself, but there's still maybe some, some work to be done on it. And that takes us to the second meaning. Of sanctification. The second meaning of sanctification uh, is a cleansing and a purging from moral defilement. That's the second part, another part of sanctification. That's the part we usually think about. And, uh, and, and both of these things are true where we're concerned. Where our sanctification is concerned, both of these things are true. We talked about two aspects of sanctification last week. There's the initial act of sanctification, and that's our personal sanctification that we experience when we're saved. And we looked at, uh, go over with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We'll look at just a few of the scriptures. You'll see already that I've skipped a lot of the scriptures we used last week, but you can go online and you can get the full teaching. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 11, uh, if we back up, he's talking about... Uh, their behavior and, and treatment of one another. And uh, in verse number nine, he says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. There are a lot of deceived people right now. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Well, that was true then and that's true now. He said, these kinds of people will not inherit the kingdom of God. Then he said, and such were some of you. I said last week, I won't ask for a show of hands on any one of these particular sins. But he said, such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. He said to the Corinthians that they were at one time some people like, they were like these people that he just described, extortioners and liars and thieves and drunkards and homosexuals and adulterers and so forth. He said, but you were washed. You were sanctified. There is a washing and a sanctification that comes when people are born again and you're both set apart for God and you're also cleansed in his sight. Cleansed from sin. Hallelujah. Amen. Go with me over to uh, 2 Thessalonians. We talked about, referred to 1 Thessalonians, but go to 2 Thessalonians and look at chapter 2, verse number 13. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation. See, God's choosing of you 
His, his, his choice was to take you unto himself, to sanctify you by taking him unto himself. He said, from the beginning, God chose you for salvation through sanctification by the spirit and believe of, belief of the truth. Well, thank God there's that initial act of sanctification. And in one sense, every Christian is sanctified in the sense that you've been born again, you've been taken out of the kingdom of darkness, you've been transferred into the kingdom of of God's dear son. You were once a, a sinner, now you are a saint. Now, I know that the Catholic Church, and I don't know if anybody else uses the the reference to saints, but the Catholic Church, you know, they have certain individuals that they say are saints. And they'll say, you know, this person had a a marvelous life and maybe had some kind of supernatural things happen in their life, and so we call them saints. But according to the Bible, every Christian is a saint. You'll find that, go with me over to Romans chapter 1. Look at Romans chapter 1. Paul is introducing himself here in the first few verses. And then he said, his epistle is written, verse 7, to all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. Now, if you read it, you'll notice 2B is in italics. That's not in the original Greek. The way it originally reads is to all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called saints. All of the Christians in Rome that he was writing to, he said, you're called saints. Same, we see the same thing if you go over to 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. <clears throat> Verse number 2 says, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called saints, with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. If we took the time tonight, we could go through these, these epistles, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, uh, uh, Ephesians, uh, Philippians, Colossians. Each one of these epistles, he introduces the, his epistle to all of those who are at Colossae or all those who are at Ephesus who are the saints there. So this idea that some Christians are saints if they achieve some level of, of special uh, exaltation or special holiness or special uh, uh, something. They're saints, but that's not true. In Christ Jesus, we've all been sanctified. We've been set apart from this world. And that's something we need to be aware of. If you, if you walk in the understanding that you've been set apart from this world and you've been set apart unto God, You've been separated from the world and separated and set apart unto God. It's going to to affect how you live. And the reason why many Christians live so loosely and so uh, 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 unrighteously is because they really have never understood the power and the importance that God has separated them unto himself for a purpose. We are all called of God for a purpose. We belong to God. And I'm telling you, if, if you belong to somebody important, that's going to make you even more important. Well, we belong to God. And that is, that is both an awesome uh, 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 privilege, but it's also an awesome responsibility because we are not our own, Paul said. You were bought at a price. You might have been an old clay pot or an old beat up pot somewhere, but you were saved, you were sanctified, taken unto God for his own, and you're not your own, and neither am I, amen? So we talked about that. Uh, then we talked about the sanctification. Then there is, there is the initial act of being separated unto God, but then there's the ongoing act of our personal uh, sanctification, and it's more of a process, it's something that happens continually over time. It's not just a one-time uh, uh, event where a person is saved. I grew up in a congregation, in a, in a denomination. We talked about people, you know, I was saved in such and such a date, and such and such a date I was sanctified, and another date I was filled with the Holy Spirit. But that's really misleading because when they were saved, they were actually sanctified by being set apart unto God. But what they're talking about is they came to a point in time where they, where they feel like they won the battle against sin and then they became sanctified. 
But how many of you are, are uh, honest enough to know and to admit that you, you, you don't ever really get to the place where sin's not something you have to stand against? Isn't that right? Because our bodies are still mortal and we still have to deal with things. And so uh, uh, there's a process. Go with me over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 again. 2 Thessalonians 2 again. <clears throat> and... In verse 13, it says, God chose you for sanctification or for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief of the truth. Well, that's, that's something that took place. Uh, uh, that was something in God's plan and you were saved by this act of sanctification by the Spirit. But turn back to 1 Thessalonians and look at chapter 5 and look at verse 23. Now... May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Well, what's that talking about? That's talking about something that's an ongoing process. That's something that has to be worked out in your life. He said, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, uh, like I said, all believers, even at Corinth, everybody at Corinth was called a saint. In fact, he even said, you are blameless. God's presented you holy and blameless before him. And then just a few chapters later, he starts blaming them for all these things they're doing wrong. So there's, there's, it's, it's that, old, that old analogy of climbing up a mountain. There are two sides. Many, sometimes there are more than two sides to a mountain. And when it comes to Bible truth, some people make the mistake of only looking at a Bible truth from one perspective. They see scriptures on this subject and it's like looking at a mountain on one side and they think, well, that's the, all there is to say about this Bible truth. There's nothing else. This is what the Bible says and this is what I believe. But if you go around to the other side of the mountain, on a natural mountain, that, uh, the other side of the mountain might look like it's a completely different mountain. It might look completely different and most of the time it would, but it's the same mountain. Well, there are other things having to do with our salvation and our sanctification that uh, are more of an ongoing thing. So we're not talking about sinless perfection. We're talking about growing up in God. We talked about the fact that sanctification is a process that will last throughout a believer's lifetime. And, and like I said, it's, it's progressive, but it's not just a negative proposition. In other words, a person is not considered holy or sanctified by what, because of what he doesn't do. Like I said, in the, in the uh, denomination I grew up when we had a long list of things we didn't do. In fact, people would ask us collectively, you know, if people would ask, you know, where, where you went to church, and they'd say, well, what do you believe? And usually we would give them a litany of all the things we didn't do. Well, what do you believe? Well, we don't believe in dancing. We don't believe in, uh, you know, going to the movies. We don't believe in drinking. We don't believe in smoking. We don't believe in, in playing cards. We don't believe in gambling, you know. So we give them a long list of things we didn't do. I grew up knowing all the things we didn't do, not knowing why we didn't do them. And so sanctification, though, is not, uh, is not determined by what you don't do. Sanctification is determined by an act of God and your surrender to his will. Progressive sanctification is increasingly conforming to the image of Christ and his will in your life. And that's a lifelong proposition because the longer we walk with God, the more we see areas that we need to conform more to the image of Christ. And that's what sanctification is all about. Now, just to, to, to uh, real quickly give a, a quick uh, biblical foundation for what I'm about to say, there are three divine means of sanctification. The blood of Christ is the first one. Turn with, with me to Hebrews chapter 9. We looked at a couple of these scriptures last week, but it's good to look at them again. Hebrews chapter 9, in verse number 12, it says, not with the blood of goats and of calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtain, obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, of course, that's talking about the Old Testament sacrifices. If these things, he says, sanctify 
for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the Spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So sanctification comes by the blood of Christ. You remember in 1 John chapter 1, it says if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. There's an ongoing sanctification process in our lives. That's the first agent or means of salvation. The second one that people miss, that uh, people look over and don't really pay a lot of attention to is the word of God. Turn with me to John chapter 15. This is so important. I think everybody understands that we're sanctified by the blood, but we're sanctified by the word. In John chapter 15, Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. That means he cuts it off. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. There is cleansing and sanctification by the word of God. The word of God, and well, go with me to the 17th chapter of John. And Jesus here is praying for the church. He's praying for uh, his followers, and that, that applies to us. He said, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. See, the more you get into the Bible, that's why it's so important to be a person of, of the word. I don't mean just a shallow reading of the word. I'm talking about make the word of God, uh, uh, put it as a priority in your life. Make it a priority and get in, develop a spiritual habit of feeding on the word. Not just reading it, just getting your, your, your chapters in. And, and there's a place for that, just reading through the Bible. I'm not, I'm not uh, diminishing that. What I'm saying is get into the habit though of on purpose feeding on the word of God, taking time to, to, to read the word, let it uh, affect how you think and how you live. The word should always be challenging us. If, if we're not being challenged by the word, we're not growing and we're not growing in sanctification. So the word of God is an agent of sanctification. And, uh, in, and then look at Ephesians chapter 5. And we'll see this expressed again. Ephesians chapter 5. <clears throat> In verse 25, it says, Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Well, I'll tell you what, the word of God is so important. It's so, it is transformable. It's transformative. If you will get into the word of God on a regular basis, it will change your life. I mean, if you, now, if you do it for a week, it might not. It might, you could, you could go a little longer than that. But if you make a commitment that I'm going to spend time every day in the word of God, it won't be long before it will begin to transform your life. You'll, you'll, it can be scriptures that you've read uh, all of your life maybe and that you're well aware of. But you start feeding on that scripture, more enlightenment comes and it will start changing you. Yes. Amen, so important. And then of course we've already read, we won't look at the scriptures for this, the Holy Spirit is an agent of transformation. But you were washed you were cleansed, you were washed, you were sanctified by the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit, of course, is important in sanctification. Now tonight, so I've kind of brought us up to where we were and, uh, and, and a little beyond, but I, this is really what I want to focus on tonight. There are three steps to sanctification. If you're going to live the sanctified life, these are three things that will take place uh, in your life. And without these three things, uh, you'll, you'll not really please God. The first one is what I call crisis. Crisis. A spiritual crisis. 
What I mean by that, let me, let me illustrate. When I was uh, backslidden, because I was so backslidden and so hardened against God and angry at God and doing my best to, to get God out of my life, when I came back to the Lord, it was almost like being saved. I had never renounced Christ, but uh, it was all new. And you've heard my story at this, and, and, and I'll tell this part of it because it, it has application to what I'm about to say. At that time, I was working out of town in uh, Brooksville, Florida. I worked for the telephone company, and I'd been transferred down there. I uh, got transferred to that area in August, I, no, the end of July, and this was over into September, I think. And uh, I was a drug user, illegal drug user, and a small-time uh, drug seller, illegal drugs. And so I was in this small town, and there was a, a man from Jacksonville that had also been transferred to Brooksville, and he and I were sharing a room. Now, he was a black man, and I was a, a hippie. I had long hair and dressed in absurd clothes, and uh, funny looking now, but uh, when back in 1972, for a white man and a black man to be sharing a hotel room put you on the radar. A lot of people didn't like that. They were suspicious of that and, and so forth. So we were selling drugs, uh, he and I, and had a little partnership going. And so anyway, he got transferred back to Jacksonville. And that left me alone there in, in uh, Brooksville. And so I moved out of the motel that we'd been staying in and, and uh, moved into another mom-and-pop motel. And I was there, you know, by myself. And I don't know how long it had been. It just it wasn't maybe a week or so after he left. And, and I would drive in the mornings. On Monday morning, I would drive from Jacksonville to Brooksville and it took me about two hours and 15 minutes. And if you look at the map, that's booking it. And my little Volkswagen Beetle. I mean, I had the pedal all the way stuck through the floorboard just to get there. And I would cruise into the front of the parking lot, in front of the uh, telephone office right at 7.30 and jump out of the car and I'm there. I would stay there for, for, for four nights and I would check out of the motel on Friday morning. And Friday afternoon at 4.15 is when I got off, I hightailed it back to Jacksonville. Another two hours and 15 minutes, and I was cruising back into town. And uh, so, you know, I, 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 because I was out of my environment in Jacksonville, I was separated from all of my Jacksonville friends. All of my friends were hippies. All of my, all of my friends were drug users. There wasn't anybody in my company that wasn't like this. And so God arranged to, to have me in this isolated environment. I was away from all of that. And he began to deal with me. And I won't go, and I've told the story before how I got back in a fellowship with the Lord. So I, I, I got back in a fellowship with the Lord. And I'm gonna tell you, when that happened, it was such a load that was lifted off of me. And you all know exactly what I'm talking about when you came to Christ. And it was like I'd gotten saved all over again. And the best way I describe it, my life was, was chaotic. I had, a, I had a wonderful wife, very dedicated uh, wife, good homemaker, but I was doing everything I could to destroy our home. And uh, my life was full of confusion. My friends were all, uh, and I, were all idiots, lived a, just a, a crazy way of living, and she was the only, uh, Angela was the only stabilizing uh, influence I had. And, uh, and I didn't much appreciate it, to be honest with you. <laughs> and... Uh, and we had one son, and, and I adored him, and that kept me anchored, you know, to a, to a degree because out of, out of my sense of responsibility to him. But here I am in Brooksville, and I got back into fellowship with the Lord. Everything changed. And I, I kind of related it. The way I felt, the way I felt was, it was like coming inside out of a storm, you know, like in the winter when it's raining and cold and windy, and people up north don't think we have cold weather here, but we do. And, uh, you know, when it's just messy weather and it's that bone-chilling weather and you're out in it, maybe you're wet, you know, you're sloshing around in and, and, and the rain and it's miserable and you come in, you get out of those wet clothes and put on some warm clothes and get a comforter or, you know, throw and pull it up over, you just feel so. And you can still hear the, the thunder and the rain beating on the house and you're thinking, oh, I am so glad to be in here. That's what 
it was like for me coming back to Christ. And I know everybody in here relates to what I'm talking about. When that happens, it is so powerful that there are some things that just change. I mean, you you don't have to be told. I knew it was wrong to sell drugs. Number one, it was illegal. And, and, and that was dangerous, particularly when you're out of town. You don't, you're selling drugs to strangers. You don't even, nobody you know. I mean, that's about as crazy dangerous as it gets. You can get arrested so easy. And so I knew it was illegal, but I also knew it was immoral. And I knew drug use was immoral. So that, that, that lifted off. I mean, I, I was just free from that. The thing about getting saved is you are so thrilled with Jesus You're so thrilled that Jesus loved you, that he died on the cross for you and you just realize it and you come to him and that load of sin is lifted and just wonderful. Like I said, certain things just fall away. But some things don't fall away as easily as others. And so I I come back into, into Jacksonville, you know, and shortly after that, I got transferred back to Jacksonville, back home. So I wasn't driving all these distances. And so... My problem was all the friends I had were drug users, all my friends. So I'm still hanging around with some of them, but on, on the inside, I'm different. I could not go along with the things that they were doing, but they were my friends. So I tried not to be real preachy and, you know, and, and, and turn everybody off. And so I'm trying to befriend them and be a light to them, but they did more influencing on me than I did on them. I remember it was in the fall of 1972. I got back in the fellowship of the Lord sometime around September. And a few weeks later, Elton John came to Jacksonville to the old uh, Veterans Coliseum there in Jacksonville. And uh, he was, his uh, album, uh, Honky Chateaus. Anybody remember that? Nobody? You do. <laughs> Had just come out a few months before that. And so he was on his Honky Chateau uh, uh, tour. And he came to Jacksonville, and so I, I, Angela didn't go. To, she wasn't really one for going to concerts too much, rock concerts. She didn't really care for them. And so I met my friends there. They are all going to see Elton John. So I go to see Elton John. And, and we're sitting in the arena, you know, and he's playing, and, you know, he's, well, he came out, and he's got this outrageous costume on, you know, just like nothing you've ever seen. So he's on the piano and he's playing. Well, you know, they immediately, somebody starts passing a, a marijuana joint, you know, down the row and it comes to me and I, just my habit, I just take it, you know, a couple of hits off it and pass it to the next person. And uh, I'm sitting in there and suddenly it occurs to me, you're in a house full of heathens and here you are, you say you're saved and love the Lord and you're sitting here smoking dope with all these heathens. And I thought to myself, now, if Jesus was to come right now, I would be ashamed at his coming. I'd be so, I'd be so ashamed for him to find me sitting here in this company with this flaming homosexual at the piano and everybody around me that I know are getting stoned. And what would I say if Jesus came back? Now, just to keep from being too obvious and obnoxious, I, I waited a pretty good ways during the, during the concert. And then I got up and left early. And I went home. And I thought, you know, I can't, I can't live like this. Now, I had just, now I don't, what I'm about to tell you, the next story might be, Connected with that night or within a few days or it might be a few weeks after this because I don't remember. I remember these two incidents. I had just bought a bag of pot. It's a baggie. We called them lids. I don't know if they still call them that now. But anyway, I just bought one. And on our budget, you know, that was, you know, because all of my drug dealing wasn't making me any money. And uh, I was having to pay the people I was getting the drugs from. They were just using me. And so I had this, you know, had a good supply. So I had this bag of pot and I was so condemned because I knew better than this. See, some things fell away, the drug dealing, but you know what? I got a hold of this scripture. Turn with me over to... uh, First, first, turn to 1 Timothy 
You know the devil can quote scriptures? 1 Timothy chapter 5. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. Now, I wasn't much of a drinker. I drank a little bit of wine every now and then, but I just wasn't really into alcohol that much. But I had read this, and so I had kind of formulated this in my mind. Well, if it was okay to drink a little bit of wine, it'd be okay to smoke a little bit of weed. Just a little bit, just as long as I do it in, with moderation. I can smoke just a little bit of pot because it says right here, you know, drink a little wine. And so people have used this to, to, to validate their drinking, Christians. It doesn't validate you drinking alcohol at all because Paul is not prescribing wine to Timothy as a beverage. He's prescribing wine as a medicine. They didn't have the medicines we have. There was probably something in his, in his water supply. I know when Pastor Greg and I and Jackie, you know, I'm sure she knows this well and anybody else, if you go overseas in the mission field, you don't drink the water. That's one thing you don't do is drink tap water anywhere for any reason. You always get bottled water and you inspect those bottles too. Because sometimes they're tampered with. Uh, because your system is not used to the bacteria uh, in other, that's prevalent in other parts of the world and it'll mess you up. So uh, he was, Timothy was evidently having some kind of a, of a, of a uh, physical problem because of the water that he was drinking. Notice he only drank water. That's something that everybody overlooks. I know I'm on a side issue here, but this is important. Timothy only drank water. Timothy was raised as a Jew. They used, excuse me, they used wine, but when Timothy got saved, evidently he stopped drinking wine. He only drank water, and Paul said, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and for your frequent infirmities. So again, he wasn't advocating that, that Timothy begin to drink wine as a beverage. He was still gonna drink water but drink a little bit of wine as a medicine. Well, I took this and, and, and I tried to formulate this, this extrapolation. Well, if it was okay for him to drink a little wine, it'd be okay for me to dr- smoke a little weed. But you know, I knew better than that. So I'm getting somewhere with this. I remember, and I don't know if it happened right after that concert or a few weeks went by. I think we were living, you know the house? Huh? No, 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 no. This was after that. This was, uh, I think we had moved. Anyway, I don't know where we moved. It might have been over there on university. I don't know. But anyway, I, I came to the realization I've got to stop smoking pot. So I went and, and I just bought this bag. You know, it was like $20. It was a lot of money. I poured it into the kitchen garbage pail in with all the food and, you know, scraps and stuff. And about... 15 minutes later, I'm back in the kitchen going through the garbage. Trying to see, what am I doing? This is invaluable. You know, I'm trying to, I'm thinking I can sell this to somebody else. This was $20. Why am I just threw away all this money? And, I, and, I, and then it, it dawned on me, you are digging through the garbage, son. What is wrong with you? And so I, I walked away. What I'm getting at is there comes a crisis time, a spiritual crisis time in our lives, if you're going to grow in God, where you hit the wall, so to speak, and you realize if you're going to go further in Christ, you're going to have to change your lifestyle. Amen. And like I said, there are some things that when you get saved, you immediately know. It, because you're, the, the thrill of salvation is so fresh, it's so life-changing, it's so shocking, That is all you can do is think about Jesus. But as you progress in your your, uh, life, after that you realize, well, there's some other areas that, uh, you know, Jesus is pretty good, but this other stuff's pretty good too. This other behavior, these other things. Well, everybody has to come to that place in their life where you, you come face to face with your flesh and the fact that you're not pleasing God. 
And you have to face that. And that's what I call spiritual crisis. You're going to have to, everybody has to come to the place where they decide, am I going to continue to, to be friends with the world and try to live for God? Or am I going to make a clean break and sell out 100% to God? And, and the reason people don't like to do this is because it costs them relationships. There are too many people in the church world today, there's too, too much in the church of trying to uh, stage church in such a way that people can come to church and still feel like they're in the world. They still feel like they're going to a concert. They still feel like they can hang around with the, with the same kind of people they've been hanging around with. There's really nothing. They're, they're, they're given messages about feeling good about themselves and about being a better person, but there's no hardcore gospel truth that says you have to repent and live right. And so they can come to church and, and still hang out with the same kind of people and they can invite those people to church and they're all still living in sin, but they you know, sing a few songs and feel good about themselves. There, there comes a time when a person has to, has to face up and make a decision. Am I going to live like the world and, 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 and just uh, ignore the leading of the Holy Spirit and completely continue to suppress his uh, dealing with me, or am I going to forsake all and really follow Christ? Wherever he leads, I'm going to follow. Whatever he says, I'm going to do. I don't care who it co- what friends it costs me. I don't care if it costs me any. I don't care what it costs. I'm going to follow the Lord. I'm going to fully submit to him. That is a process of sanctification. That's the first step is that crisis. And born from that crisis is a commitment. People face that crisis, but they fail the test. I said, people come to that crisis in their life, but they fail the test. You have to pass the test. You have to make a a commitment. I'm going to live for God. And you think you made that commitment when you came to Christ, but you really didn't know what you were talking about. Are you following me? You really didn't know when you came to Christ. You were just, because when you come to Christ, he doesn't ask any questions. He doesn't make you, he doesn't require you to change. He doesn't require you to do anything. He doesn't require you to, 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 uh, uh, you know, live a, a, a 90 day program of, 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 uh, change or renovation. You come just as you are. All you have to do is believe on the free gift of salvation. That's wonderful. But like I said, you find out once you've, once you've been born again, you find out you got into more than you thought. You bought into, you agreed to more than you realized because something's happened on the inside. Now you have a problem that you've got to confront. Well, you have to, you have to confront it. So that brings me to the second step and I don't have time to go into it, but I'll, I'll start it because I don't know that I could finish it in one night anyway if I just did this. Turn with me to Romans chapter 6. As far as your sanctification is concerned, I'm talking about your ongoing sanctification with God. If you don't master, listen to me, if you don't master Romans chapter 6, you'll never be a successful Christian. If you don't master it, you'll never win the fight. You'll never never win the battle against your flesh if you don't master Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, because there are some things that are said in here. There are some things that are, that are told us in this chapter that are a little hard to believe. And the enemy will tell you that they're not true. And he'll use your own life and your own lifestyle and your own faults and your failures and, and so forth. He'll use that to, to show you that this is not true, but it is true. He starts out in chapter 6, verse 1. He says, shall we, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? So notice what he's talking about. He's talking about the question of whether or not a person, uh, because of the grace of God, just takes this attitude, well, I'm saved. God loves me. And he loves me like I am. And all of my sins are forgiven because I've been sanctified once and for all by the blood of Jesus. So according to that, I don't really have to do anything. I can really live any way I want to. What we're, what we're seeing in the church world today is not new. It's not new. Went on back then. 
Paul was actually accused of teaching people that they could live in sin because of his strong teaching on grace. But he said, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Now, he just made a very powerful statement. He just made a very, just said something that's so powerful. He just said that you died to sin. That's what he just said. Read it again. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? See, once you have to start out with this premise that God's word is true. I don't care what it looks like. In other words, I don't care what my life looks like. I don't care what my, my, uh, 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 my behavior looks like. I don't care uh, what, how, how I kind of measure up to it. If the Bible says it, it's true. And if it says it about me, it's true even if I'm not living it. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? You died to sin. You died to it. And that means you had a permanent separation from sin. When somebody dies, they are separated from us. Isn't that right? Well, you died to sin. You might be sitting there thinking, well, sure doesn't seem like it. It seems like sin's whatever it might be. It's pretty strong in my life. No, you're actually dead to it. You died to sin. And so the absurdity is how can you live in it? It must be possible to live in it or the question would be moot. Why would you even ask the question? It must be possible to live in sin and still be dead to it. It's a paradox, but it's true. We died to sin. And so we have to figure out how not to live in it. Or do you not know that as many of us as we're baptized into Christ Jesus, we're baptized into his death. This is, this is not talking, first of all, about water baptism. Water baptism is, a, is a, an outward demonstration of this. It's an outward ceremony that depicts the fact that when you came to Christ, you were baptized into Christ. You became, when you were born again, your spirit was re- recreated by the Holy Spirit and you were immersed into Christ. Your identity became swallowed up in Christ and your very, your very spiritual person was absorbed into Christ and you became part of him and he's part of you. You were baptized into Jesus Christ and that means you were baptized, immersed into his death. What he died to, you died to. Therefore, we were buried with him. We, were, we died with Christ, we were buried with him through this baptism into death that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Now, I know that sounds like it's saying that we have uh, an option that we should walk in newness of life, but we don't have to. That's not what it's saying. Because it goes on to say, if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Again, because of the, of the way it's worded, we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. That kind of sounds like something in the future. Maybe at, when we're, when we, if we die before the Lord returns and we're raised up, that's when we will partake of his resurrection or maybe at the rapture of the church when we're changed sometime in the future. If you read the rest of this, remember when you read the Bible, context is everything. And the immediate context is the most important context. If you read this, this entire chapter, you'll, and we don't have time to do it tonight, but we'll get into it next week, you'll find out he's not talking about sometime in the future. He's talking about right now. You'll be in the likeness of his resurrection right now. He said, if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly, certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. You, were not, only di- you not only died with Christ, you were buried with him, you were also raised with him. You were raised up with Christ. Now, notice what Christ died to. 
For if we, verse nine, I, I, know, I know we skipped the part in verse six, we'll come back. If we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion unto him, over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life that he lives, he lives unto God. When you were born again, you died to sin and you were raised to a new life. That's the truth. That's the holy, wonderful, gospel, awesome truth that you are a new person. I don't care what you might be hung up on. I don't know what kind of things you might be dealing with, struggling with, trying to overcome. The, if you, once, you, once the reality of this chapter, once you master this and it becomes part of you, it is, it's the most radical thing that can happen to you because you'll realize when temptation comes, that's not, that's not something that I participate in because I'm free from that. I died to that very thing that, that, that my flesh is trying to bring up. I died to it and I was raised to a new life. When it says here, for if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Again, now that sounds like it's talking about the future. It's not. Because in verse 11, he says, you, likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive unto God in Christ Jesus. I, one translation, and this is the Weist translation. I love this. I, I don't know if I've got it in a note here. I don't know if it's actually in the translation or if it's in, in his notes where it says, we shall also live with him. Weist uh, uh, was a Greek scholar that I, that I follow. Uh, very well-known, respected, widely respected Greek scholar, commentator. He said, this means that we live by means of him. If we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live by means of him. See, that's the whole key, is living by means of Christ, by what he's done, what he perfected, what he established, what he made available. And not just made available, what happened when you, a lot more happened to us when we got saved than we thought. Oh, boy. A whole lot more happened to us than we realized. We got, we, like, like I said earlier, we got, a, we got a whole lot more than we bargained for. And sometimes that's, a, that's the source of a lot of trouble and a lot of anguish because people can't reconcile the things that are going on in their flesh with what the Bible says. But if you'll get into this and feed on it enough, it will transform your thinking to the point that, that your flesh will just yield to the truth of this chapter. I'm telling you again, you'll, you'll never make it if you don't master the truth that's in Acts chapter, or Romans chapter six. And I'm about out of time. Amen. Glory to God. Look at Will, I've just got another minute. Knowing this, that our old man, oh boy, can I, can I even start this? You're gonna have to stay a minute or two. Our old man was crucified. Your old man, I'm not talking about your husband, ladies. <laughs> your old man was crucified with him, with Christ, that the body of sin might be destroyed. The body of sin, what is that talking about? Well, it's talking about the physical body, but it's talking about the physical body in the light of its inclination for sin. Because there is a sin nature in our flesh. It's not in our spirit. You get born again, you are of God, you have his nature in you, but the passions of this flesh remain after you're saved. The things that you wanted to do before you were saved, like I said, because of the, of the power and the glory of what happens to you when you're first saved, it just seems like you don't even want to even be in this world anymore. You just want to love God 24 hours a day and not go to work, just pray and worship because you're just so thrilled with Jesus. But uh, when you come back to reality, nine to five, you'll find out that your flesh still wants to act like it worked, like it acted before. That's the body of sin that he's talking about. It's talking about the sin nature of the flesh. So he said, knowing this, that your old man was crucified with him, that the sin nature of the flesh might be destroyed. Well, 
that's the older King James. It says done away with. Neither one of those are the best translation. This word done, that's, that's this expression that's translated done away with means to render powerless. To render powerless. Your old man, the old man you were before you were saved, was crucified with Christ. He went to the cross. He's never coming back. He's never going to be resurrected. So that, that happened to us in order that the sin nature of the flesh would be rendered powerless. Now you might be thinking, you don't know the sin nature of my flesh very well because it's pretty powerful sometimes. Another, uh, this is this same word is translated in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, rendered powerless. And one translation, I don't remember which one it was, but it, it thrills me. One translation used the word dethroned. It's the sin nature of the flesh has been dethroned. The sin nature of the flesh is still there. You don't probably have to look too far back in, <laughs> in time to find examples of that. The sin nature of the flesh is still there, but it's been rendered powerless. It's been dethroned. That when something has been dethroned, that means it's been taken from it's been taken down from its place of ruling and reigning. It's been taken down from its place of authority. Oh, glory to God. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Christ. So that, the, so that the sin nature of the flesh might be dethroned, rendered powerless to control you. If it's controlling you, it's because you're letting it. I'll say that again. That always goes over real big. If, if your sin nature, the sin nature of your flesh is controlling you, it's because you're allowing it to, because it doesn't have the right to. It's there all right. It will assert itself, but it doesn't have the right to control you. And the last part of this verse, we'll leave with this, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Oh, glory. That we should no longer be slaves of sin. That we should no longer be slaves of, and you fill in the blank in your life. Just fill in the blank. That we should no longer be slaves of, I'm going to ask everybody to speak up, but I'm just telling you. Fill in the blank for yourself. Your old man was crucified with him. Amen that the sin nature of the flesh would be dethroned, rendered powerless, unable to control you any longer, that you should no longer be a slave to whatever it is. Oh, glory to God. That's liberating. That's very liberating. And then he goes through this rest of this chapter and just tells us how it works. It's, it's an amazing chapter. Uh, it, is, it is the second step. And that is faith in the finished work of Christ. You have to have faith in the finished work of Christ. You have to believe that what happened on the cross in his death, burial, and resurrection and what it means to you, that it's true. It's just true. It might not feel like it's true. It might not look like it's true. If people know you, they'd say, it ain't true in him. But it's true. Whether you reflect it or not, it's true. And, the, and, the, and step number two is developing faith in that, putting your faith in that. And this is, this is another way that we're sanctified through the word. Remember, we're sanctified by the, by the blood, by the word, by the spirit. This is the way the word sanctifies us by, we, by getting into this word, feeding on it until it transforms our lives. Hallelujah. Well, praise the Lord. It's all good. It's a great thing. And there's no peace, really, excuse me, there's really no peace outside of the sanctified life. <laughs> there's not. Paul talked about it. He said, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do do. And I don't know what to do. And oh, wretched man that I am. You, you'll live a wretched Christian life until you grow in sanctification. And it starts with a crisis. Starts with a with a with hitting the wall, so to speak. You got to come to the place where I'm gonna make a decision now. 
I'm going to live holy. I'm going to live for God. I'm going to please God. I don't care what, what it means in this world or who likes it or who doesn't like it. And then get into the Bible and see what is true. Praise the Lord. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.